Yo! Welcome to another episode of the <laughs> Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records discography in chronological order. And this episode, we have a interesting release from a cool band, something a little different. I got some big thoughts on this. Jason, tell everyone what we're talking about on this episode. This episode, we're talking about the Spark Marker Treasure Chest compilation CD, 1990 to 1997. Mm-hmm. Revelation Records number 76, released in the year 1999. This was a fun conversation, Jason. I know you weren't there, but um, I thought it was it was fun. The ones where I know not nearly as much about are some of the, my most enjoyable conversations to have. Um, and I hope that people listening, if you're crazy enough to listen, to keep listening to us this far in, um, and maybe you haven't listened to this record, give it a, give it a spin and maybe listen to the interview first and hear them talk about it and then go visit the compilation. This, even if you don't like the record, I really think this was an important conversation that touched on some really interesting topics it reminded me a lot of reading antimatter in 2023 not necessarily antimatter in 1994 or whatever but now the way that norm writes now yes Um, and i even actually reached out to norm after to talk about some of the stuff that uh kim was talking about in and um had brilliant conversation there so let's all let's you know what let's I want to give a bit of bow to Norm, the antimatter substack. Um, it's a really interesting read. Substack has been on uh, a lot of people's mouths and minds lately. And Norm is bringing together all generations. You could read an interview conducted in 1994 with Porcel, or you can read an interview conducted in 2023 with Kat from Scowl. It's really all over the place. And he's got some important stuff to say. So bit of bow to that. He had a cool interview with one of my favorites, Dan Yeeman, Dr. Dan. I haven't listened to um, that one yet. Always uh always has something cool to say. Um, you know, he's a sort of a hero of mine. I love Lifetime, Kid Dynamite, Paint It Black. So um, always love hearing him speak. But yeah, it's a, it's a good read. And speaking of the interview itself, I, I just want to give a bit of uh, both Kim and Rob. Uh, Rob for letting me punish him and patrons will get to hear yeah. a little bit about Black Halos. He played uh, after Spark Marker in a band called the Black Halos that had some records on Sub Pop uh, that were like, a, you know, punk rock and roll, dead boysy kind of stuff. Um, and it was really cool. And Kim... You know, uh, Kim is an archivist, 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 archivist. you got it, yeah. archivist. Um, and he's archiving things for the Simon Fraser University Library's Vancouver Punk Collection. And as people like Jason and Hav and I that are doing this, it's sort of our version of archiving. Um, and, you know, people have said like, like Jordan, like what we're doing is important. I'm not trying to, you know puff us up or anything but like you know to have these kind of documents of of the scene that'll be you know around in perpetuity or whatever um 
So he, uh, Kim is really into archiving. He also is selling his record collection. We talked about that, I think, for the patrons. Uh Um, And I don't have a link. You can just Google his name. Uh Um, But it's really cool. He's, He's like selling a lot of his collection, but he's personalizing it and sending videos where he's packing the stuff. Yeah. And kind of talking about the records and, you know, the pressing and the record itself and, and his feelings on when he got it. And it's really cool. And just both those guys were so sweet. And um, I could, I could have kept talking to him for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like talking to some old friends. So um, just huge bit of bow to those guys. And uh, yeah. Great. Jason, anything you want to give a shout today? <clears throat> Always got to shout out the patrons. Mm-hmm for keeping us going every month. It's a small amount, but it really helps us. I think morally, financially, I just appreciate their help uh, monthly with this podcast and with our mission. Yeah. And listen, if you want to have any interest in supporting us on Patreon, head to whereitwentpodcast.com. It'll take you to the Patreon. Um, Our episodes go up a day early for patrons. We often have like, 10 minutes of, you know, a bonus small episode where we talk to the the people early, but then also after this, after the interview with the bands, the three of us sit and chat shit for like an hour about the record and about whatever hardcore. And, and the only way to listen to that is by supporting us on Patreon. You can do it for as little as $3 a month and uh, it helps us to and we have our discord just going yeah and the discord. Mm-hmm. a private access to a private discord uh with some cool channels playlists downloads merch uh and you know we are coming up guys on our annual holiday gift we have to oh, start that's brainstorming. Right. we do have to start I, brainstorming. I, I mean i don't i don't want to again puff myself up but i think the past 3 holiday seasons Although, you know, the one took a little longer, so it was delivered a little late. But I think we've had some cool items. You know, oh, you mean, do you mean the one that was delivered late because Hav actually went through the trouble? Actually had to hand, hand, hand dyeing, tie-dye, <laughs> <Yes>. underdog demos, <laughs> replica t-shirt. Yeah. That we so, uh, so just for, for those, so just for those listening, the first That's year. the kind of quality. <laughs> the first year we, we did um, a little tribute to Good and Plenty Zine. Uh, mm-hmm. And bold because there was a little drawing of Mickey Mouse wearing a bold shirt, mm-hmm. and we sent those out. Printed on Comfort Colors blanks, mind Great you. Great shirt. Great shirt quality. Then the following year, um, and yet because Hob had to actually hand do these, it took until probably January or February of the next year. But underdog demos tribute shirt uh-huh. with Bob Marley on the front, tie dyed. And then last year we had the Inside Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, shirts from it's from from like a flyer who a- Andrew Rizik, uh yes. friend of the pod Andrew Rizik sent us a flyer of an inside out that was like kind of graffiti ish and they are sent to pay they're sent to the top tier patrons correct um and you know we don't put them we don't usually put them for sale we'll occasionally have some leftovers that we'll offer up to other patrons for sale so I don't know we got to start brainstorming guys but. We always come up with something cool again, if I do say so myself. So mm-hmm. I agree. So why don't we let Kim and Rob kick it? Do the rest of the talking. Let's kick it. Kick it.
Okay, so then fast forward. So that's 1993, right? Yeah. And then I got a CD in 1994 called Products and Accessories. That so we kind of have like a, a where it went bingo, and my bingo it, it probably could play a game every time I say Products and Accessories became one of my favorite CDs of the 90s. I listened wow. to the fuck out of that record. Everything about that CD is perfect. The fucking packaging is unreal. Like it looks like a, it's like a some kind of puzzle, <laughs> and it's very different from a lot of the stuff that was coming out at the time. It was like driving, and I hate to use this word, but it was groovy, and there was hooks, but it wasn't soft. It was still like it had a bit of hardness and roughness to it, and. Like lyrically, I had no fucking clue what was going on. <laughs> kind of like a, a Fugazi type, like maybe just throwing a bunch of words on the refrigerator and organizing stuff <laughs> at the drive-in ish. And like the artsy side of me loved that as well. And I listened to products and accessories today in my car. And it to me, it sounds just as fresh as it did in 1994. Wow, thank you. So then yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. Fast forward a couple of years, maybe to 97. The band, I see the band one more time at the Showcase Theater in Corona. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a strife too, wasn't it? I, you know, I so I have I've been going through all of my photos and flyers recently because I have an idea to make a book. Mm -hmm. And I could have sworn that I saw a flyer with spark marker on it yesterday. So I look for it again today. I didn't see the flyer for that show anywhere, but I found another flyer for a San Diego yep. show, which uh, was spark marker, kill holiday, will Haven. That's like the next three episodes. Actually. <laughs> oh, this is in Los Angeles at the Impala okay. cafe. So this is, I, I, I would reckon that kill holiday also played the showcase show um and maybe will haven too it's possible that all of those bands played together but what struck me about the spark marker at this show was there wasn't a guy that was just singing yeah and that's what i was used to and in fact there was like a group of three or four of us who were waiting for those songs that we loved <laughs> from products and accessories and they never came maybe one maybe two songs yeah and like disappointment's not the right word but just like huh okay
okay, so there's something different going on at the band with the band. And 1997 is around the time you guys had a record come out on Crisis. And then the record that we're here to talk to talk about today for this long lead up, which is Treasure Chest, which is a compilation of seven inches and in compilation tracks from 90 to 97. Is so, this the first compilation like like not the way it is or whatever? Mm -hmm. Is it this this I believe is the first like an anthology anthology on, on type revelation thing that that we've so I think first anthology or collection and also the first Canadian right? Wow, I uh, believe yeah. you're correct on both of those. Yeah. Yeah. So congrats. Um, <laughs> I think that's one of the issues with our band. That you're Canadian? That struggled yeah. in, in, in all that time. It was mm -hmm. a big issue with, uh, by the time this record, I mean, we, Rob and I talked a briefly about this a couple of days ago. We just thought we'd just check in with each other. Um, and uh, we were laughing that it was sort of like, one, you know, we were trying to be on Revelation from the beginning, right? From products and accessories. We had been talking with Jordan from 93 on. And, you know, Walter even tried to get us to be on Revelation and talk to uh, Walter from Quicksand, even tried to talk to Jordan, get us on there. And it, I mean, I, the amount of effort that we went to, like that just felt like the right home for us. And one of the things that um, I remember in the earlier conversation with Jordan was just like, but you're from Canada. Like our bands are from New York or from California. I know what to do with that. <laughs> but like, I mean, I don't know what to do. Like, I mean, if you were from New York, right away, I would do you guys that put you on the label. But I don't know. This is, it's kind of weird. And I remember just being like, what? Like, uh, you know, like, like it, yeah, it, at that time, it seemed very nationalistic almost. Well, <laughs> but I mean, when you look at Revelations, when you look at Revelations, you know, uh, track record, that's yeah. what he knew, I think. And I think it was like, how do I sell a Canadian band? Like it had to be sold in a different way or something like that. And that, I mean, obviously you, we can look at other bands now. It doesn't matter. But it, it, in for us to tour too, that was an issue. People are like, yeah. where are you from? We we would never say we were from Vancouver because people wouldn't know what Vancouver was. Which is we wild say, to me. And we would say Canada. And we'd be like, if people knew that, they'd be like, like DOA. And I politically love DOA, but like we don't sound anything like DOA. So it was really hard to sell. If you were to go back into the 90s and look at a, a map of what sounds like the sounds that were, uh, you know, we would fit into, um, there there wasn't, you know, any bands in Canada that uh, we, we were close to that sounded kind of like the genre that we were doing. You know, Undertow was maybe the closest thing, um, you know, and they were in Seattle. And, you know, uh, otherwise than that, you know, I think we would, you know, we felt at home with stuff like what was going on, let's say, in California or New York. That's the stuff. I was going to say, listening. it's like when I listen to the Spark Marker stuff, it's like a mix between like the New York post-hardcore, but then the San Diego, Southern California, mm. you know, more. That's a brilliant way to characterize um, stuff. It. Like, and it, so it's, it's funny from Canada, but like, it is weird too because Canada one is huge, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's I, you know this is a go. But I figured if Hav gets a check off a of bingo, I'm gonna check off a of bingo too. And one of my all time favorite bands is from Canada, and they're you know the, the Sloan from oh Toronto, yeah Halifax, awesome. Uh, yeah from, awesome. From, you know, and then Toronto, they play Canada. They play these big rock festivals and stuff. Then they come to the U.S. and they play to, you know, 
150, 200 people. It's just, it's, it's just odd to me because it's like, to me, it's like, you know, still all North America. Like, I don't know, but I, I lived in LA and I remember they were playing all their different records at the Troubadour. And I was like, I will never get to see them play a small gig like that in Canada. Like I was like, Oh God, I got to go check out one court to another at the Troubadour. That'd be so awesome. I, I wasn't able to make it for whatever reason, but um, you know, uh, when we were uh, spark marker was, Again, going to the 90s and how crazy the 90s were with record labels and stuff like that. One of our big problems was we could find labels in Canada to sign us, but they didn't have distribution in the States. And we didn't want to be, at that time, we would have compared it to a band like the Tragically Hip. Huge in Canada. Yes. Unknown in the States. And we were like, we didn't want to get stuck in that wave where you can, there's a lot of Canadian radio play. For financial reasons, it's probably would have been smart. But for an artistic, like trying to reach your audience and stuff. Um, yeah, we, we really didn't, a lot. We, we just really wanted to have an American contract and the record labels that wanted to sign us in Canada didn't have American distribution. And that was a real big thing for us. Because the 500 watt burner, that was crisis. Yeah. Um, so maybe one day we'll have to do a, a, a bonus on I mean, on you that. could touch we'll on it a little bit. Right yeah, I was going to say. Crisis is an offshoot of of rev of and it, rev, at right. this point i believe it's rob moran yeah. as the a and r person so we i think we should have rob on here i agree to go through because he's got the info the the record right before spark marker on crisis was chinchilla mm -hmm. which was an all girl i believe uh band from san diego yeah um and so then it, it, I, I, I would imagine that having a record on crisis would be like the stepping stone to having your next record be on rev. Is that, am I correct in assuming that? It was a weird one. I mean, I mean, crisis originally started as a project with Walter. Yeah. So the seven inch onion came out onion, and, and keep I think, my soul awake. Yeah. Um, and then they, anyway, that went to the side. Uh-huh. You tell me what reason they brought Crisis back. I don't know. We wanted to sign with the Revelation. It was definitely like we'd have all the same stuff as Revelation. We loved Rob. Rob, you know, so wanted us on uh, on Crisis and that was so what we wanted too was someone who, you know, was excited. Um if I were to make a comparison, you know, we would play shows out in Chicago and you'd see like Tony from from Victory at the shows excited. And it was like, you know, it was like wow how awesome to have a record label where like the label owner wants to see the band and is excited to be at the shows and stuff like that and just loves you can just see that he loved the music you know and so rob was awesome because we had played shows with him he loved the music understood us uh it, that was great the idea of it crisis i don't know it, it was kind of like a we'll try it and yeah like were you kind of <laughs> bummed because i feel like i feel like i've talked to people that have been associated like i feel like it was one of these things where a lot of bands maybe almost thought they were going to be on rev like i feel i could be making this up but like there's a band from our area my area mm -hmm. you know philly suburbs they were called autumn mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. had a record on crisis crisis and I feel 16 like, yeah and i feel like they were told like they were going to be on rev and then it was like oh, you know what? we're going to do it on this crisis instead Mm -hmm. And then when we talked to, was it Bluebird where they were going to do Crisis? And then they were basically like, put their no, foot down no. and we're like, no, we yeah. want to be on Rev. 
But I mean, 97 crisis, it's Spark Marker, Shai Halud, Beta Minus Mechanic, Wilhaven, mm -hmm. Autumn, Overland, like all of that in one year on mm -hmm. a rev subsidiary, basically. But it's still got the same distribution. It just doesn't have the star. Yeah. And to me, all of those bands in the, in 1997, all of those bands fit together. Like that could be a, a show right there, those mm -hmm. bands. So, but but they might not fit in. Like what what's going on with Revit this time, Greg? Uh, nerve agents. Um, we just did battery. Uh, damnation. Damnation. So I could see where morning again. Yeah, like it, it's it. There's like the nineties. Like a 90s show, there's so much going on and mm. so many different styles, and it could all fit together or it could be separate things, but it, it that's just kind of the way it is. Yeah, I mean, I also, I mean, I kind of really got a feeling that at that time, at least, or maybe a few years, because we were talking to Jordan for quite a while, that, I mean, he was way more into stuff like Iceburn and Engine Kid. And, you know, those bands, to me, don't really make sense on Revelation compared to the sounds that it was kind of going. I love those bands, by the way. Like we play with Engine Kid a lot. I love Iceburn. But I mean, like they were really going out there. Um, so it was really, I don't know why they felt necessary because I think those bands are way more out there than some of the other stuff. Yeah, like it seems, it it's, seems it's just an like odd it's decision. It's luck of the draw, like uh, depending. Um, because yeah, like you said, I fucking love Iceburn and Engine Kid as well. But like that's some, like, I mean, that. Iceburn Metatavolutions record, like that is not something you'd expect to be on on Revelation. If it had been on Crisis, maybe it would have made. So I think, yeah, it, is, it does almost seem like a little bit just of luck of the draw. And Rob, I, I wanted to get your take on on things as well with, uh, you know, with the whole, you know, that record being on Crisis, um, you know, prior to Revelation. Yeah, I mean, like, like Kim said, I like the whole time as a band, you know, we were trying to get on Revelation and we would always, you know, when we were, we were down in California or in Southern California, we would go down to the Revelation office and hang out and buy merch or whatever, you know, like just hang out at the office down there and get to meet people and everything. So it actually felt like we were part of the community like part of that label but never actually like you said never actually had that record with with that star on it while we were touring you know and that felt like it was a big deal you know um and that nothing against crisis like i mean actually like crisis and all the bands that rob put out and everything like that are all amazing uh, you know, I, I still fucking listen to Wilhaven all the time. I think they're so great, you know, and we became really good friends with those guys and played a bunch of shows with them and everything. Um, but I guess Revelation just had that respect, you know, and um, it felt a little disappointing that we never really had a chance to be a functioning band uh, and have a record on, on the label. Right, because you'd figure like if anything should have been on Rev, it should have probably been what the 500 watt record, right? And then this, yeah. So it's it's interesting to me that like the one that has a proper Rev catalog, which is why you know we're able to to chat with you guys and have it as a main episode, is a compilation. Like it's it's kind of a 
it's funny almost because it's like the actual albums you know weren't on there but then this one gets a catalog which this was only released on cd um yeah you know which it was 1998 or 99 so that makes sense but yeah well, see, i was kim and i were talking about this a couple of days ago and i'm just kind of like why why was this record released by <laughs> you know like was it i couldn't remember if it was because Rev really wanted to, or if it was more of like a contractual obligation or what it was, you know what I mean? Because we weren't, we had broken up already. So um, it's just an odd one, you know? Even though <laughs> like when I, I, I look, I look back at that record and I'm actually very proud of Treasure Chest because I think it's like such a, obviously I, I'm proud of all the songs that we released and, I'm happy that it, some of those songs finally, um, you know, get to see the light of day, but uh, it's just a bit confusing, to be honest. I th I think too, I like, after talking to you, Rob, I was talking to my boyfriend, Scott, and he was, uh, and was talking about the conversation about this, doing this for this record of all ones. And, uh, and I, I don't have a copy with me anymore, but, you know, I kind of went through my head of all the stuff about it and um, it, it'd be hard for me. It'd be, it'd be hard. It'd be dismissive of me to not mention that a couple years before that, uh, I found out I had HIV and at that time, like people were dying and, and I, I was, we were touring uh, even 500 up burner and I had to like not take my medications with me because like you're, I wasn't allowed in the States as a person living with HIV, I would have been like United States up until 2008 didn't allow people to like be a tourist in their country living with HIV. And it really um, also just, I was really aware of my mortality. And um, when the band ended, I was really, uh, there was a part of me was like, I really want to document this part of my life. And so uh, Sean Scallon, who we had a seven inch called Scallon, had a record label called Spectrosonic. And he talked about, hey, um, we were really good friends. Like, our van broke down and I stayed like over two weeks at his house on tour. He was like <laughs> the number one. So many great fan. photos. So many great photos. He's such a great name attached. Yeah. Such a great guy. We, we've done many things with him and he had a spectrosonic thing. And we had these last four songs that, so this is a funny, you know, all the recordings that we're talking about products and accessories, like that was the record we started talking to Reve to Revelation about putting out. That's the one Walter from Quicksand was like, put this record out, Jordan. And Jordan was like, ah, and I was like, we need to put it out. So I put it out myself. The money that we made from that record paid for the recording of 500 Watt Burner at seven. When we finally got signed, like we already had it recorded. We we showed those guys, they ended up giving me my money back from those that we paid for it and gave us a little bit of money to remix some of the stuff. Um, and then all the stuff on Treasure Chest, we had paid for it all, all ourselves. Like we, we we never had anyone give us like a check to go into the studio and record. We were always doing this by ourselves. So when we recorded the last songs in Sweden, I was just like, well, there are songs. We paid for them. Um, Sean, why don't you, you put this out? And that's when it became an issue with Revelation because they had us on contract. And they were like, well, then he'll have to buy you out of your contract. So it'd be a really interesting conversation to talk with Revelation what was going on at that time because things were on a handshake in 94, but by the time 95, 96 goes around, they were quite bitter that they had artists leave their label that 
like orange nine millimeters, one of them that I know, know of, there wasn't a contract and the big record label just went, we'll give them some money because we're taking them from you, but there's no contract. And I think Revelation got burned quite a bit or felt they got burned. And so like our contracts were incredibly huge. So like for what, one of the reasons we wanted to work with Revelation, it was a small label. We're very, I don't know, community-minded maybe, at least I'm really community-minded. I like being able to know who the people I'm working with is, but it it was quite business. And so by the time we had signed that contract and I just want, hey, let's just let Sean put it out because, you know, we paid for it. We did this recording for free. Uh, they were like wanting, I don't know, so much money for it. Um, and I was quite upset. I wrote a mean letter. I don't think Jordan ever saw it. Vic, I think, intercepted and said, uh, we'll release we saw your letter and we'll release this because uh, I was just upset that they would try to make it harder for us to do something with it. And so anyway, and then it became a CD that does most of that stuff on that CD. I don't think deserves to be on vinyl, uh, like as a, as an album, it's just too mishmash. CDs are kind of a fun project though. Like you get to 70 minutes of putting stuff on there. So it had all the room and it was right. a great like, way to, there's certain comp sometimes, sometimes too, with like compilations where you're like, yeah, this didn't need to be on vinyl. Like, I don't need like these demo versions or something on vinyl. Like, yeah. you know, that's why a lot of labels, I think sometimes when they do the extra stuff, they'll just have it as like a, a digital download, but you do strike me, Kim. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't, I don't know you very well, but from mm -hmm. online and, and being talking as someone who is into the idea of archiving. So it would yes. make sense. Um, to, to have this kind of uh, curation to wrap yeah. everything up, you know, it was, it was, a, it was fun for me. I mean, if you go through the liner notes, I don't have them with me. It's, it's just the beginning to end honoring the band. It really was, it was, it was a sad ending to the band. I mean, I don't think, uh, it, it, I think when I say sad ending, I felt like we really were working hard to try to make that band work. And if you kind of look at, the way 500 burner seven kind of fell through a lot of cracks. And um, I think if I were to re reflect on it, electronic music was getting big, like Daft Punk or, you know, um, just a, a lot of electronic music in, in general. I'm, I'm, I'm missing some of the bands I'm thinking of. I, I think all of a sudden being um, an alternative band of the sort of Nirvana rush, which we really got to ride the wave was crashing by 97. It wasn't, uh, as as big a rush. I mean, like, like obviously it continued to a smaller degree, but there was this kind of shift. And I think it was a bit exhausting to uh, put seven years into a band and then just sort of feel like we weren't, you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, um, you know, when you were talking about uh, being disappointed, seeing us without Ryan, I mean, that was a big decision for us. It's like, do we start right from square one as a new band when we had already been together for five years uh, or four and a half years and then and change our name when people it took so long for us to even get anything recognition with the name smart marker um it it was it was it was a hard pull and then we play bands we'd play shows with bands that had you know started years after us and they would have success and it it, it was it was a we missed a wave i think i think i think one of the biggest drawbacks to to the band spark marker was that it just didn't fit in in a mold you know what i mean it didn't if you were like a hardcore fan 
you wouldn't necessarily say that hard that Sparkmark was a hardcore band. Or if you were like a punk rock fan, it definitely wasn't like falling into that category of punk necessarily. You know what I mean? Like it just a lot of the bands um that were out there at the time, like you really could be like, okay, they're a straight edge hardcore band or they're a sub pop band or whatever it is. But like Sparkmarker sort of just like had its hand in a in like a bunch of different scenes, you know what I mean? So it was a little bit hard to pigeonhole. And um even with the bands that we played with, like if we were playing like a like a straight edge hardcore show or something like that, like sometimes the kids just didn't get it, you know? And that's totally fine. Like I I, I don't not, you know, disagree with them that they might not understand. But that also like has a role in why maybe we didn't sign to Revelation because it wasn't like you said, we're from Canada. We kind of have a certain sound, but it wasn't necessarily like a direct hit, you know what I mean? So um I think it maybe was a little bit more challenging for people to grasp. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, at Javier and I both played in different bands and, you know, I know what it's like to play in a band that's, that's, you know, around for a little bit and then you watch people that formed after you or that opened for you, then eventually rise in the ranks, even if they're your friends, it's like, there's always going to be that little sense of like, oh, well, why, why isn't why aren't we doing this? Why can't we get this? And yeah, you, you hit a certain point, I think. It sounds think, like you, I think where, like, you hit the gets, ceiling. I think Gorilla Biscuits wrote a song about that called Competition. competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. But like you do, do, you kind of feel like, okay, like we've hit a ceiling. Like we're, we're not, like this isn't going to get any, not that you're playing music to get bigger, but it's almost like we kind of hit a wall. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're, we're not going to be playing because, you know, everybody that plays music wants to get their music out there and have people listen to it. And a lot of people listen to it. Right. Um, and yeah, you probably get to the point where it's like, all right, anybody that's going to want to see us has seen us. Like we're not going to get, we're not going to earn any more fans, you know? And yeah, it's like you put a lot of effort in for sometimes very little return. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, I think, even internally as a band, we struggled because like we had, you know, we were one of those bands that had major labels interested in signing us. And, but it seemed like they were like signing, they wanted to sign everyone at the time, you know what I mean? And we happened to be one of those bands and it was a struggle amongst our band. Like, do we sign to a major label? Or do we not? Or do we continue on the path that we've always been going, which is more of like a, you know, just do it yourself attitude and playing all ages shows. And just like, it it was, I think it really, the nineties, the later nineties were sort of like ate away at at us a little bit because it was, like you said, we would see our bands, our friends' bands get signed to major labels or whatever it may be, you know, getting the, sh- the shot that they deserve that maybe we weren't getting, you know? 
Yeah, and that was a time too where, like you said, so many bands were signing to major labels. You know, where it was like, like I'm thinking even from just this scene. You mentioned Orange Nine Millimeter. Uh, you know, uh, into another signed to a major label. Um, Sense Field, Shades Apart. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Man will surrender. You yeah. know, like, like, and and we like. Like you're mentioning into another, like, like they got signed by Dave Walter, who was our friend. We would stay at him. He worked at Hollywood. He was a big, like, we were friends with a lot of these record rep people. Like, like it was, it was a very weird world to be like friends with people who were big in, in the music industry. My friend Curtis Pitts, he was responsible for sunning Sunday Day Real Estate. They gave him tons of like leeway at Sub Pop to sign. Like it was, it was a really weird time like we we got free dinners when we would go to new york and stuff like that and taken out because people just had expense accounts they're like hey your friends come on smart marker we'll take you guys out you're in town and i got an expense account and we'd be like great like take us out you know but the conversation would also be like hey you know like can you write a hit song we're like wow that's not like that's just not like how we write music is thinking that we're gonna write a hit song but that was the focus you know and then, yeah, it's like, it's like, and you have to weigh, like, what would be better, right? Having a record that's on Revelation that people, you know, will still kind of be, like, say something came out on Hollywood. I mean, look at all the bands that got signed. This records ended up in the cutout. Bin. Yeah, you, and you can't listen to into another uh, Yeah, and you can't now. listen to it. Yeah, like, you can't even, you like, somebody can't even go and stream it, mm-hmm. you know? So it's kind of like hindsight's twenty twenty, I guess. Well, and it's funny because they let's say 90, the products and accessories CD came out. We put it out ourselves and we did our last tour with Ryan. And uh, so we had already decided that we were going separate ways. And um, on an on outside level, I could see, I think he's a great singer, by the way. I think he's a great front man. I think he's a great singer. And artistically, he was not, I, I mentioned wearing the dresses. He was really not into where, the stages that we were sharing were going. And um, while I think that's the great challenge of like trying to put something different on a very uncomfortable stage. Uh, when I say uncomfortable stage, I mean like making people think, I think that would have been awesome. Um, that was not where his heart was in to, to be the front man to make that change. And I think those scenes, I'm putting my words into what I think of him and, and uh, think of what his decisions were. But when we put that CD out, that's when the record labels were all interested in us. And so we just left, he just left the band. We were like comfortable with it because we actually were a bit more focused because he wasn't not being in the band. He wasn't holding us back because he he was just not really happy with, with the direction we were going. Um, and uh, all these record labels were giving us these huge contracts. And the irony is we didn't want to sign five year record contracts. Um, when we were, when he was in the band. And then by the time we get onto a crisis, we had to still sign this huge three-year contract. Like it, it, we never got away from it, even though we signed in a small label, it, it, it changed the industry really drastically where all of a sudden handshake record deals with labels that had any kind of feet in the ground. Um, everyone was doing contracts. I mean, their, their contract was, you know, put together by the same lawyers as Hole and Nirvana. And I say that because we had record label friends who would be like, who's their, you know, who's their lawyer? Oh my God. Like that's uh that's wait, who is, big... uh, uh, this is, I'm a, cause I, I'm a, 
what was it like uh rosemary carroll was she the i wish i could remember the name like i I actually have copies of all this like you know whatever the 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 lawyers were that was who represented nirvana and and hall and courtney love and whatever so you know i mean they were they really they were lived in they were in la they got some good lawyers and they labeled up after they got burned and um yeah, that would, you know, so I, I think there's a big, sh- I think it'd be really interesting to interview Jordan to talk about the change of his label being from handshakes with with people he knew to all of a sudden, you know, uh, watching his bands just be taken from underneath him because uh, he didn't have contracts and they left. And I think that's yeah. a really interesting story to be looking at just the pressure of the Nirvana wave on, on, on a small record label that all of a sudden got a lot of attention really quickly. Yeah, because there's at least five five or six bands that left and went to major labels none of them really had much success unless i'm it's funny like missing something but the cyclical nature of that too because like we're seeing a lot of bands now kind of shooting for the stars with how big they're getting how big they're getting and the tours that they're getting a lot of bands from the hardcore scene and i look at the history exactly what you just said greg of like what happened to those bands like yeah ask them how ask ask caven quicksand jets to brazil on and on and on. ask them how well they did on a major label how much fun it was or or what the lasting well jets to brazil actually wasn't on a major and i think it was because of what he experienced mm, with Jawbreaker. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. he's probably like, yeah, you know, uh-huh. I don't want to do that. And yeah, it's true. It's like, it's, it's for every Nirvana, there's a Tad, like 10 Tads. I fucking, <laughs> totally. I fucking love Tad. But Me too. That's a great reference. They didn't sell records, mm-hmm. you know? No. So it's like, it's like a one in a million shot. So, I always, I used to, there's this uh, obscure band from DC uh, called Manifesto, who I, I, I like love. And they're very um, kind of like uh, eight, what would be now the 80s retrovi- retro revival of the 80s synth rock. Is that with um, who's, Bert that, and like Bert, Bert Kowitz? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really good. They got signed to a record label. Um, and then the guy who, so this is what happens in the music industry. They got signed. Um, and then the person that signed them left. And then there was no one at the record label that wanted to push that record. And this is the problem is when no one is there to represent you, to sell you, no one wants to spend time taking a band out of contract. And so you have to change your name. You can't continue as the band because you're in contract with a label that doesn't want to put out your record or any further records. And you're stuck in limbo. And that's happened to, you know, a lot of bands. And like, so when there was this five-year contracts, all I could think of was like, what? Can you imagine if things go great? That's awesome. But we know for a lot of bands, it doesn't go great. And then you're stuck. And yeah. and, and that's it. You're stuck in limbo. That. That's why so many bands are in. I, I always knew that there would be these, the contracts. But yeah, I'd always be like, why don't they just drop them? It's like, well, mm-hmm. because like you said, there's like stuff involved with getting them out of that contract that, you know. And who wants to spend their time getting a band that's no longer wanting to be on the label right. contract when you could be signing the new band who wants to get on your label? And so it's, you know, I'm not saying Manifesto would have made it big and stuff like that, but I just remember that story. I went, fuck. That, yeah. that, well, they didn't even have a chance. They didn't yeah. have a chance. It's, it's, so. It is. It's, the 90s were 
a wild time for for sure. You know, um, and as we were, we're almost at the end of the nineties now uh, with the Rev catalog, right? Oh, I was like, what year are you living in? (laughs) (laughs) Got you with the Rev catalog. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Like we're we're about to get into two thousand, I think soon. So. The good thing is that all the, the record came out in 1999 and it sets upside down, it had 666. So I was really happy because I always love things to do with <laughs> Satan and the devil and stuff like that. So I was like, that was the one good thing about this record. I was like, ah, oh, it came out in 1999. Awesome. So I'm wishing uh, I had a physical copy because like you said, it sounds like there's, uh, you know, notes inside because there's no, it was, it was hard for me, you know, just streaming to. Mm-hmm. Like see, and I, I was hoping Discogs would give me some info. Yeah, Discogs the- only has the cover photo, and it does list that there's a few bonus tracks. Yes, on I there. want to talk about that. Life after Spark. Yeah, Monster. kick it. Yeah, yeah, kick it, Greg. Life so after- it actually says here on Discogs, it says um, track 17 and 22, which these are not on the streaming. Um, oh. I'm assuming this is on the CD. It says. Uh, tracks 17 and 22 are each five seconds of silence and appear to be placeholders oh. for music that was unavailable for inclusion in the track listing. They are re- referenced as number 17 is Alex unavailable mm-hmm. for comment. And then 22 is Rob, the black halos due to legal difficulties. No song available release available <laughs> on die young. Stay pretty. Yeah. Um, so on the CD, like we each member of the band, like did like different musical projects after Sparkmarker. So there was actually like kind of like hidden tracks on there that had each like a track from each guy's current project. And um, I mean, Jason had like he had got into like drum and bass music, you know what I mean? So he was like doing like this like cool like techno kind of drum and bass stuff. And there's like a there's like a track on there. Um, I was already in Black Kalos, but yeah, due to being on Sub Pop, we weren't able to put a track on the Sparkmarker album. You know what I mean? So it was more just like, hey, you know, here's our Sparkmarker song. This is what some of the guys are up to now. Like, it was it was kind of a cool idea. Um, but that's funny that it, it, that that shows up like that, like with. I didn't realize that, like, if you were streaming the album or whatever like that, you couldn't hear those bonus songs. Yeah, I, I I thought it was a it's a cool idea too for for a compilation. I mean, you want to talk about wrapping everything up in a with a bow? I mean, <laughs> that's that's great though to say we're done. But here's what we're here's a little taste of of what we're doing as well. You have seventy music on a CD. You might as well fill it all up. I say. <laughs> uh, tell me real quick about the Narduar versus the Caller track on there. Uh, That's so funny because he's famous now, eh? Like, he yeah, was not, he was yeah. nobody then. Uh-huh. I saw. I was just in Oregon and I saw somebody with a Narduar shirt coming up from LA, and I was like, "What?" Like. John, uh, when I met him, like you know, that's Nardwar. I mean, he had a radio show on CITR uh, forever. Like, so we just you grew up. That's one of the radio shows on this uh, University of British Columbia uh, college radio show, and and Nardwar interviewed bands, had bands play live, and uh, we yeah we got to play live, and uh, at that time he was nobody. So we just recorded, put on our first seven inch because we thought it was funny. Um, I don't know. I don't remember more than that. Did you? Is there a um, 
record of the uh, studio when you played in the studio? Like somewhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I know but that there's, there's a tape somewhere of one of the seven inches. And on the B side of this tape is just like three live tracks from um, soundboard recording. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Spark Market, when you look at this band, most people know it as stage two and stage three with Ryan, the, the last version that Ryan sang in and Jason played bass. That's really where we changed, like where we really, I think, became a band. Mm-hmm. Um, the earlier stuff is us being a local band, just learning how to play our instruments and trying to figure out what we were doing. If if we were to include all our demo tapes on that CD, um, I mean, it's just completely different. It's here's <laughs> a bunch of guys learning how to play music. I, uh-huh. I, there's one song. There's one song from that session. Um, uh, if I were to, yeah, I'm gonna try to play. It's a la- It's probably the last song, and that re- reflects previous to our seven inch. And 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 it's from a demo that we did. Oh, deeper I sink. That's mm-hmm. it. And so you know, that's just showing us learning how how to play music. And we did demo tapes, of course, and and stuff like that. So, um, but there's all these weird releases that we put out that I completely forget about. Which is, we'd go to California, and our seven inch wouldn't be out, whichever label it was. And so we would just quickly make some tapes, so we'd have something to sell on the road. So sometimes we'd have like the seven. I think you might be talking about the plug seven inch on one side with like some live tracks on the other I think side. So yeah, I, and like I I remember seeing someone selling that. Someone goes, "Hey, do you see this for sale on eBay or something?" And I was like. I completely forgot about that. Like uh-huh. that was that we probably made 50, you know, just to go to San Diego or something. So I is the that. way the compilation is sequenced, like reverse, is it in yeah. reverse chronological order? Okay. Cause I, I before I said, because I, I found it interesting listening to it, it's like it gets worse. <laughs> it's it, well, it's I was like, it's even though it's in reverse, you really can hear the progression from okay. The you know if if you were to start it, it's always weird with these compilations, right? Because most t- most of them do put the newer stuff first and go back, but it's like I kind of like hearing like the other you know the other way around. Like I want to yeah, hear yeah, yeah. from the start to like where where it is now, but you can still you know obviously just reverse it in your own head. It's, it's neat to hear the progression over those seven years that the compilation spans um well and, and uh, you mentioned earlier and i really like that you, i'm honored that you would mention our influence of the san diego sound kind of meets new york because i don't think back then those people understood those two scenes that well like they were just so separate and it's kind of hard to imagine the music is just so fluid and accessible now but you know you know we would play california a lot and i loved pitchfork like i I was so like I almost drove down to see their last show when I when I when I heard that they were breaking up. I was just like, oh my God, I love this band. Um Jason's so- gonna be so bummed he's not on here right now. He's <laughs> Jason is Jason is our resident uh Rick Froberg, rest in peace. Okay, yeah. I mean, I mean, Super such fan. talented guys. I just yeah. there was nothing it sounded, you know. Uh, I was a big DC guy. I had all the records from the eighties of DC and stuff like that. And so finding something that was on the coast that kind of had that weird quirky edge that was arty and, and whatnot and pitchfork really filled up for me. So thank you for saying that. But um, where was I going with this? Um, oh, just, you know, pulling in influence and playing these scenes. And we got to play with some of these bands. Um, you know, we, we weren't 
pigeonholed into just straight edge shows. So, you know, we would play with like Three Mile Pilot or, you know, uh, we play with Statue. There's a band on Revelation that really mm-hmm. sticks out for its time that Ooh. was, where does it fit in that? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I love them, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, a lot of these bands would come up from uh, up to uh, Bellingham in, uh, uh, in Seattle. We would go there to see shows all the time. Uh, and the other thing was, you know, at that time, it was so fun was that we would get to take music and travel around from one coast to the other and share music with people. And it's it was just, it really was sharing scenes scenes and kind of like, like dropping seeds of different influences as you were on tour. I felt like there were so many, uh, I, you know, I, I remember having a Sunny Day real estate demo because I was close friends with Curtis who signed them and, they weren't even on sub pop. So we were just, oh my God, check out this band. And then, you know, coming back on our second tour, people are like, do you still have that demo tape that you shared with us? Someone stole it and stuff like that. Cause we'd be at John Hiltz's tape trading and silk screening shirts and stuff like that. Yes. You know, there, there's a real community that was happening in that time. And bands that I think of that are really looked at nowadays as being just a part of that same fold of music. And I'm going to say bands like Unwound or like Drive Like Jay, who, um, they didn't really mix with the straight edge hardcore scenes. Like they were just so two different camps. Um, and sometimes they crossed over, but um, it was, it was really interesting that now I love it. that Everyone now just listens to music and, and puts it all together. But I, I didn't feel that uh, when you'd play shows back then, uh, especially with straight edge shows, we love Strife, by the way, they're great guys, but we would play a show with Strife and they'd want us on the show and all the other bands would sound like Strife. And, you know, we'd be the standout and these kids would be like, it's like slam dance and, and and jump and do whatever they were doing for the music. And then we play and they'd be like, what do we do this music? It's got stops in it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like it was just, it was, fu- it, it was nice to play those shows, but they were really hard to play as, as a, as a musician wanting to engage with the crowd. And you know, the crowd is just absolutely wanting something else. Um, having said that, I love what we did in spark marker. Uh, you know, it wasn't like ooh, we were so bummed out of what we did. I think we were very proud of what we did. It was just sad to see, you know, a chapter in a book have to come to an end. Uh, but it came to an end as a very well-documented one uh, in the CD. And so, um, I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm so happy. I learned so much as a person. Um, Rob and I are the only two members that were in every single recording that's on that CD. We were right from the from working at Sam the Record Man Record Store. Uh, we met and <laughs> we would eventually, after the band, work at Network Records. So we have a lot of history together. Uh, and this band really uh, helped me grow as a person um, and also as a musician, obviously. And uh, I, I'm so grateful to Rob for being a part of that journey with me. So thank you, Rob, even though I can't see you. Oh, thank you, Jim. <laughs> yeah. I actually like uh, have to say very similar thing because like without like before joining spark marker or meeting kim and ryan in the record shop and them going like hey you know how to play drums I'm like yeah they're like do you want to come over and jam with us and i was like sure you know uh starting the band from scratch like really from scratch because we really couldn't play our instruments that well. And that was our very first band. So, um, and then just like, to me, like learning like the punk rock stuff from Kim, like putting out your own record. Like I never realized that bands could put out their own records. You know what I mean? Like 
that was like completely foreign to me. Oh, we're going to print our own t-shirts. Cool. Let's go down to the thrift shop and silkscreen our own t-shirts. And that was how we sold shirts on tour and stuff like that. Like I learned so much from being in spark marker that not only just like, you know, how you can function as like a DI, DIY band on tour, but also just like it made me grow as a person. And um, like, there's nothing like, you know, like you could never go to school or anything like this to learn any of this kind of stuff. You just have to be out there and do it. Right. And um, I wouldn't be where I am now if it wasn't for meeting Kim and being in band. And um, it was definitely like one of the biggest parts of my life. Awesome. And we're glad we're glad we got to help document it too, because now people are going to get yeah, to listen. Like, and... Really, this is like so cool for you guys to do this. It's really an honor to have um have us on your show and um you know reminisce and talk about the record and hear some cool stories. So thank you very much. Yeah, that's thank what you. it's all about. Um I have one last question. There's a seven inch that's not on this compilation or the other compilation of seven inches too. And that is the sub pop singles club, which is oh, but it but it is. It's on this. No, it's on 500 watt burner at seven. Okay. So those songs uh-huh. <laughs> uh a part of the deal by the time we had negotiated everything with crisis, sub pop had already wanted to put a seven inch out for us. So Curtis. Uh, who did Sunny Real Estate, obviously he uh, he could sign anyone he wanted, um, was uh, trying to figure out who he was going to sign next. And so he did like the handsome seven inch. He did us, uh, yeah. this band called Plexi. Um, and Plexi was like his big gamble. Um, they put a lot of money behind Plexi. By the if way, you guys I, haven't heard the Plexi record on Sub Pop, you got to check it out. Like, so okay. It got, it got, they, they got dropped somehow amazingly and put onto Lava. I love that band. I fucking, I know a lot of people are like, this is a weird, I don't know. It's kind of like space rock kind of stone. I don't know. It's, I think it's brilliant. But anyway, uh, what am I trying to say with that? A part of that was uh, there was a conversation of like, could we be on sub pop? We didn't know if that would be a good fit for spark marker. To be honest, it seemed like an odd, an odd fitting, like cool, but odd fitting. Um, and I think it was possible that that, that could have happened. But uh, nonetheless, um, like ha- Handsome, definitely, I think we're just like, that was a jumping stone to, uh, on their con- putting together for their contract to sign, probably. It's like, we have a Sub Pop 7-inch. Mm. Don Fury was happy that we, we he's like, that's my first recording that's going to be on a Sub Pop 7-inch. He was totally mm. excited. Um, but that was already to go. And so there's a song there. And so when we said to Crisis uh, about this record, we said, this is already happening. These two songs, it's all the same recording. Uh, it's only going to be a limited seven inch of this many pressing and then that's it and they were like that's cool you know as long as it comes out i, I forget what the timing was that they wanted and it, we worked that out but those are the exact same two songs mm. um i don't even no know if it's a different recording or anything I, no uh-huh. i'm trying to think if it's a different mix maybe mm-hmm. maybe but I, I wouldn't doubt if we remixed it with yeah there's not really in inside the seven inch because i've i've seen it in person it's beautiful it's embossed it's got two foldovers and then it folds mm-hmm. out into four things and it's got the photos like photo booth pictures of y'all yeah and then just lyrics and there's like i don't think there's any other information it's very mysterious uh, i'm looking okay. at it now on, on discogs mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh. and um it also interestingly on the sub pop 
discography of their singles club, it skips from 1993 to 1998. So, and I believe the singles club, your seven inch came out in 96. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't list a, any of those things that you just said, handsome plexi. They're not on the sub pop website for some reason, which I know from experience in with revelation, sometimes these things just don't get cataloged properly. There's, you know, people behind the scenes that aren't uh, responsible for uh, uh, um, making a discography page or whatever. Uh, so, okay. so it, it, there is a, a, there is a spark marker tab on the sub pop website with oh, nothing there. <laughs> and then if you click on singles club discography, the whole well, year of 96 is not there. I, by that time, I don't think we're a singles club. It was just a single. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there's a difference between the singles club, which and is what single. started Sub Pop oh, to get money. Right. They they did that to get money ahead of themselves. It sure, was, yeah. Thanks to Nirvana Genius. and all those other bands. I, I had that. It was all hand done. And they were like, this gets us money at, ahead of time. Uh -huh. And then they were able to press the record with the money already in their pocket. And then they continued it for some years. And after that, they were just doing seven inches. I mean, when we went to wow. Sub Pop... Uh, with Curtis to like look at our uh, just to, to talk about putting that package together mm -hmm. but, you know they just opened the closet and like they had so many seven inches it, mm -hmm. there was the singles club were just a, was one section and they ended it mm -hmm. I think we would just I think I've seen a poster for sub pop singles or sub pop records and there's a there's a spark marker it's somewhere in there because we're somewhere in that whatever number it is that they're following but yeah there's definitely a not cool sub pop poster it's like a huge poster that has like but I think it has every sub pop single on that poster. Ah, but it not yeah, the single singles. It's pretty cool looking. Yeah, nice. I remember well, seeing it, it online or something like that. And I was in this. Oh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I just remember being at the Seattle airport and there's a sub pop store there, and they had a uh -huh. poster up, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the first I mean, there's a spark marker seven inch there." <laughs> <laughs> you fanned out on yourself. I, I know. It's like I'm by myself. Who's going to notice? So um, at least. Rob did get to Rob, you ended up getting to put out stuff with Sub Pop. So I guess it all it all worked out anyway. Yeah, um, but there was also a spark marker connection there because mm -hmm. Meg Watchin, who was like did many uh like put on shows for us in Spark Marker in Seattle and we stayed at her house many times and we played there and made us meals and everything like that. <laughs> she ended up getting a job at Sub Pop and she was an AR person. So um that I sent the the uh demo to her and she sent it to Jonathan Poneman, like the owner of Sub Pop, and they both dug it and came up to see us in Vancouver one night. And the next day basically they were like, here's your contract. <laughs> um so there's also a spark worker connection there, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, because I remember like it was, you know, again. And we're talking for those because the if you're a patron, you can hear a little bit more about Black Halos and a little having my say that we have that Javier so nicely curates. But we're talking about the Black Halos who had uh, a couple of records on Sub Pop that were killer and Rob played with them. But I remember even them being like, oh, a guy from Spark Markers in this. Like, I always love when people from hardcore bands did other things. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I always found that cool like yeah and interesting so like you said someone from the band doing drum and bass like i think i think all that stuff's great but i could go on about that but Hav, i think 
it's probably well, time actually. Can, for... I, can I just tell you one more thing? Yeah. Yeah. Just one more, one more quick thing. So, like, you know, I I work for a giant concert promoter, <laughs> and I I run into like I work with a lot of obviously like great international bands and stuff like this, and um, occasionally I will run into someone that's on tour that you know, came from like the nineties hardcore scene and, um, or punk rock scene, whatever it is. And we be, it's, a, there's an instant connection and we, like, there's like this bond. And I really love, um, knowing that like, because back then you really had to like work hard to be in a band. I mean, there was no, Facebook, there was no TikTok, there was no any of that kind of stuff. You know, you're really like putting in the extra mile to get your name out there. Um, so it's cool to see a lot of band, a lot of guys that were in that scene go on to have successful careers for themselves still within the music industry and and making a living at it, you know what I mean? Um, because I really think you really cut your teeth like in the in that punk scene you know what I mean and and you're building networks and everything like that and all of a sudden next thing you know 20 years later you're working with like some of the biggest bands in the world so, I always say most of the, awesome. most of the best bands have some kind of connection to punk rock yeah. in indie you know even the you know at least the bands I like right like the bigger bands and I do I think there's something to that because I think they learn about uh, you know having integrity and ethics and um good work ethic and things like that to carry on over into even when you're huge you know like right, you i like agree a, you have totally like a agree. band like fallout boy right where it's like you know those guys all came from chicago hardcore bands in the 90s yeah now they're like one of the biggest bands on the planet and it's yep. cool to see but yeah yep. i i agree it's always neat to run into somebody you know even you know, just in, in random from that era. And you have this instant connection, like you speak a secret language. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hav, That's cool. Yes. It's time to kick. Hot tracks! Listen, guys. Hot tracks. We have a thing on our podcast where we discuss the hot tracks of the record so could be your favorite song could be could have been your favorite song to play to record just something that you have a um but you you probably didn't think you were going to get quizzed on this huh so i'll mm -mm. i'll go first so that you have time to study um i thought about my hot track being the embrace cover because we did a we did an episode about the embrace cover album and i expounded upon how much i loved that version of that song and ryan's vocals like are so wild on that song and really threw people for a loop but i love it i love what you guys did to that song it's just like that's a spark marker song written by Embrace. That's not an Embrace song. Wasn't that that was your hot song. track on on that? I think record. I think was that was my favorite song I'm, on the on I'm the whole almost record. Almost positive, yeah. yeah. But 
I was listening to another podcast this week called Hard Lore, and they were talking about seven inches at EPs. And they said one of the brilliant things about hardcore, and specifically they were talking about Warzone, was how many times they recorded some of these songs. And so you could pick and choose your favorite version and and how much they love that. And I realized that I love that too. So my hot track on this CD is Speaking of Heroes because it is just different enough from the version that I was more familiar with on products and accessories to make it sound like it, it sounds like a demo version of it. It sounds like a different recording. Maybe there's some different lyrics in there, um, but it's still like obviously the same song. So uh, I don't know if it's just like an affinity for loving these songs for going for 30 years now, but speaking of heroes, my hot track. Uh, can I make a comment to that song and that recording? Yes, please. Yeah. So when Ryan, um, and us split ways, um, we, again, we were thinking like, should we even keep the name? What are we doing? Uh, the only spark marker songs that you heard were that you were saying when you saw us and you're like, or maybe it was a couple songs, mm-hmm. the songs that I wrote the lyrics to, okay. I didn't feel comfortable singing his lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so speaking of heroes is one of the songs that, that I wrote the lyrics to, uh, even though he sang it on products and accessories. Um, and so, and there was just one part of the lyrics that I had to change because um, one, he wrote them and then I could, and I had to sing and play guitar at the same time, which is, Really complex in this band, by the way. Um, I, I was very proud of myself by the end of this band that I could do some of the stuff. So when you look at the track listing, speaking of heroes, though Discog says it's from the seven inch of, of Scallon. It's not. Yes. It's live. Uh-huh. We recorded <laughs> Velvet Elvis. We, we're talking about, um, uh, Rob was talking about uh, Meg watching uh, from Sub Pop. She put on shows at Velvet Elvis for years before that. Uh, they did a, a, we did like a, a some live off the board for a, 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 a benefit for them of some sort. And um, that song was on there. And so I'm singing Speaking of Heroes. And we never re-recorded it. So we thought we'd put that on there. And that's also why the song Canyon Jumper is on there. Because we did a song called Garlanding. And bef- we never recorded uh, of Canyon Jumper with Ryan. So we just kept the music. And I wrote different lyrics that come up on 500 Burner 7. So Canyon Jumper is a song that he wrote lyrics to that we recorded differently. Uh, on 500 Burnout 7, and that was filling in these weird little cracks in that linear linear change with him. Nice. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Should yeah, I go next? Yeah, you. I'll go yeah. next. Mm-hmm. So um, mine is 52 card pickup, and I think that that is where I really heard that, like, Jehu kind of guitar a little bit, the San Diego vibe jumped out at me immediately. Um, and I love that stuff as well. And the DC kind of like, like you said, Kim, like that was, I mean, that was the stuff I was raised on as mm-hmm. far as hardcore. Like some people come from metal. Some people come from just like, you know, punk rock proper or whatever. And and I kind of came from the whole, you know, Fugazi and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, like alternative music to, you know, Sonic Youth to Fugazi to whatever. And I just thought that was a killer track. And I always loved the game 52 card pickup. <laughs> always a great prank. Of to course play you did, somebody. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> hey Jude, want to play a game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
do we have to pick I'm one? I'm wondering now. Yeah, if, like, yeah you got to pick one. Yeah. Rob, do you have one? Rob, you have a hot well, track? Well, I'm only asking this now because I'm looking at the name, but I'm wondering if the band Deaf Heaven named I wondered the same that's what thing. I, that's what I wanted to ask about. That was something I forgot. Yes. I, I have no idea. Like, um, I'd I'd never really heard of- honored if that was dead, if that was a, a real thing, but, um, but yeah, that's cool. We should try and contact them and see what's going on. <laughs> Is it a hard, they, uh, are they a hardcore band even? I, I, no, I don't know. They're, they're, they're like, they're like, like an arty black metal band. <laughs> I, yeah. Listen, I, I feel like I coined this term called gray metal where it's yeah, black, okay, they are gray black metal. metal played by white boys in flannels. i know it's not it's not a fair uh it's all it's a criticism really because i didn't really enjoy deaf heaven when it came out i was like this isn't cult this is like (laughs) this is too artsy to be black metal and and of course on death wish of course i heard the sunday their record and i was like oh this is really cool because you know whatever somebody told me that sunbather and i can't unhear it and this will this ties everything in a bow as well Somebody once described it as Sunny Day Real Estate Diary played at 45 RPM oh my with God. black metal vocals over it. Wow. <laughs> I but like yeah, those so type they, of record reviews. Those so are awesome. They, they come from the scene, so it, w- it wouldn't surprise me. I, I've never seen those words put together like that until the band and then your song. Well, so that, it's, like the, it's like a the, common... The band is one, one word and the song is two, yeah. but... Yeah. If I was in a band and was like, hey, these this is a cool song. I'll make this into a my Yeah, band. you want to kind of give your own little spin. Yeah. But. I back it. How obscure we are, I'm going to say no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's a nice thought. But uh, I mean, this is a weird record. We'll have to find out, Hoff. We gotta, who do we know that we can? There's got to We got to. We can't be that be a, many a, degrees. A wish connection. Well, we, yeah, we can't be that many degrees away from Deaf Heaven. Yeah. So, Rob, so, do you have a song or do you want me to go? You go, you go. I'm good. Okay. Um, I, and I realized I was like, "What song am I going to pick?" And then I was like, "Oh, you go first. And I was like, "Fuck!" If he uses this song, I'll be pissed off because I realize I want this song. So, um, um, uh, keep the quarter. Um, I, I don't know what it is about this song. Um, that's maybe very cathartic for me or something like that. Um, I, I, I loved playing the song. Um, it was just uh, actually I think this recording of the song I actually like better than what came out on 500 burner at seven. Um, I just feel like it has a little bit more. Mm, I don't know. You know, like sometimes you record a song um, uh, and there, and, and it's a bit, I don't want to say mechanical maybe. Um, and, and other songs, there's just a bit, that's kind of what I like. 500 burner seven uh, uh, was recorded with a click track uh, and it's, it's precision uh, uh, products and accessory was not recorded with a click track. And there's lots of fucking mistakes on that record where you can just, the tempo was like Whoa! fast and slow. And, and, uh, there's something in this that I'm not, I don't remember if we recorded with a click track or not, but I just know that there's this, it has this own energy to it, it has a more flow to it that, um, that's what I like about playing live, um, with a band. Uh, I love studio is so different. You know, you're really trying to fit in you want to have, you're trying to capture that energy and, um, but playing live, there's just this moment where you're just like, that happened. Uh, whether it be as an audience member or playing where you're just like, Oh, that was a bit of magic. And I felt this song not saying it's all magical has more magic than the 500 burner seven song. So uh, on the 500 burner seven. So anyway, 
that's my song. I love it. I'll stick with that one. And now Rob can pick. Great. Rob, Rob we can see you. Track? I didn't even realize it wasn't on video. I'm so sorry. It sucks. <laughs> I thought maybe you were just like in the witness protection program or something. Hey, guys. Hey, nice to see you guys. Um, I got a screenshot of it, so now I documented it. <laughs> I actually have a hard time picking a song on here because, first of all, I, I, honestly, I haven't listened to this to a lot of these songs in a long time, but... Um, Speaking of Heroes is also like a standout track to me and it's always been one of my favorite songs to play. Um, and it's just been one of the, to me, it feels like it's just been one of the, the hardest hitting Spark Marker tracks that we ever did. Hmm. That's fine to choose. Sometimes we all choose the same one. It's rare, mm -hmm. but. They, the same. other hosts, Jason's not here with us today, but they have a game behind my back where they think that they can pick my hot track most of the time it's like yeah it's it's hard sometimes yeah oh and we did you know speaking of jason we didn't talk about the layout he's gonna be uh, uh, -huh. uh so real quick if you want to just uh wrap up the layout of the record the photo is that oh the cover you mean stuff yeah yeah oh yeah so he's our, he's our graphic designer okay yeah jason, so you know, yeah, too bad. To... I could talk graphic design all day long. Um, I started doing zines when I was a kid, and I did all the, the I had my own record label. And so when it came to Spark Marker, I kind of did all the visuals with everyone's input to make sure everyone was happy. Um, and I my jobs ended up being graphic design in the music industry. So um this album, the cover, ah, the cover is uh the boyfriend I might have had at the time when this happened or not. Anyway, obviously I kept a copy of the photo. Uh, it's a photo of his dad and his sister on vacation. And I remember going through his photos and I was like, this is such a cool shot. Your dad is awesome. <laughs> and uh so I I had put that aside. Uh, and then the back cover is a photo of my dad. Um, in uh, 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 he grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan, and yeah, that's my dad uh, on a motorcycle. And they just had this weird uh, style and look to it that was uh, uh, I don't know. Felt like Treasure Chest was about looking at older things, and so the photos, uh, you know, we just kind of tweaked it to make it look like yeah, like you're looking through some kind of old artifacts and bits and pieces. Love that. And hence it, the name. It reminds me. It reminds me of like a Smiths album cover or something mm -hmm. like that. It, totally. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> has that feel. Yeah, and also something uh, a band around the, at the same time, Kill Holiday, had like a similar vibe to which yes, was heavy, yeah. heavily influenced by the Smiths and Morrissey aesthetic. Oh, oh well. they totally were. Yeah. I mean, we we played. I mean, that's the original singer of Undertow, um, and uh, so yeah, we play shows. We 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 played shows with those guys, or and they'd come up to town, and I mean they. Uh, there was there was no slightness about them trying to be uh, like a Smith styling or sounding when they played. <laughs> that's, it and was the definitely great thing intentional. Is, that's our next rev release, Kill nice, Holiday. Good time. So yeah. perfect, perfect segue. And perfect oh, sorry, you know what I'm thinking of? Sorry, I'm thinking of Said Child. Oh my uh -huh. God, sorry, mixed yeah, up. That wasn't Kill Holiday. Kill Holiday was um, Stephen from Unbroken. Yes, yes, yes. I'm thinking of still. I was thinking of I was thinking of Said Child from 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 Seattle, who mm -hmm. had. Uh, but you're right, Kill Holiday also had that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, and those are great guys. They, I think, unbroken as well as them, always had their little Smiths on their sleeve. Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, and we love uh, them for it. So yeah. I, I actually found the flyer for oh. the the show at the Macondo. Okay, unbroken. 
yeah. opened the show, yeah. which is wild. Remain, which was a local uh, kind of melodic band. Strife, Undertow, oh. Spark Marker. Sunday, August 1st, 1993. Yeah. And so the show you saw would have been the next day. Uh-huh. Awesome. A That's... Monday, a Monday in August in Fullerton. I can't think of anything <laughs> better. That's a that's a great lineup for a show. That's a cool lineup. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It was. It was. It's actually kind of interesting because we would end up playing again with Strife in '97. So, uh-huh. like, we played with them then. We didn't play that many shows with them from '93 until probably '97, where we jumped on some show, parts of their show. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, some they had a big tour and we, we jumped on some of their shows uh so it was it was kind of funny to make a full round years later Love that. <laughs> well guys thanks so much for joining us um we i'm i'm glad i got to talk to you guys about these songs like i said been a fan for way for almost as long as some people i know have been alive and um <laughs> and so it was cool to to hear some of the history and talk about it and unfortunately this is our only time to talk to you guys about your time in revelation if we happen to do anything for uh crisis we can we can Which reach people out people told us we need to do but i was, yeah. like, <laughs> I was like this this your plate is full yeah, yeah exactly we got our work cut out for us we're on the, what what number is this this Craig? is 76 76 and they just announced rev 215 there we go yes. so wow. granted got... they're only on like 190 something that was a placeholder because the band is painted black and they're from a great band they're from philly where i'm from I'm from the Philly suburbs. I don't want anyone saying he's not from Philly. I'm from the suburbs. <laughs> but I have a 215 area code, which I've had for, you know, 20 plus years right. of the same number. So that's why they chose 215. Oh, Philly, okay, gotcha. Philly area code. Awesome. Sort of like how Farside got dibs on number 69. Uh-huh. Oh, they argue they fought for that one? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. God. I always remember, like, at the time, I remember hearing that, like, Kiss it goodbye. I think wanted to put the Rev logo upside down so the star was uh, like up and, and Rev said, and Rev said no. Well, it's <laughs> funny because on the back of there's a 500 watt burner shirt. Yes, and yeah. on the back there's a pentagram with an S yes. in it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think we were, might have been on the same page. You are nice. smart, God. I don't even have a copy of that. <laughs> I, th- I think I got a pentagram here somewhere. There, no, I don't know somewhere. Pentagrams over here. There we go. Nice. So, I liked pentagrams. <laughs> awesome. Right, well, thank you both. And uh this probably won't be up for a while. Right? What's up, everybody? Hello, this is Javier. I just wanted to remind you that if you were a Patreon supporter, then right now instead of listening to just me talk, you'd be listening to all three of us talk about our feelings regarding the spark marker compact disc but maybe you're not maybe you are maybe you're not either way if you are interested in becoming a patreon supporter please head on over to where it went podcast.com find some other goodies there but while i have you here i would really love to give you uh a give all of our top tier patrons a very special bit of bow so here's the list Billy Tunnell, Brandon Gavell, Brian Skiffington, Brooklyn, 
Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focus, John Cowell, Nate of Head to Wall fame, Ryan Walker, Ryan White, Tad Payton, Tim Shear, Tyler of the Life and Death Brigade, and Siren Records. Look, we really appreciate all of our patrons, but I just, it's my duty to, especially, these are like the, considered the executive producers of our podcast, if you know what I mean. So anyway, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in, and yeah, bit of bum. <laughs>